Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Roth. I'm one of Pearl's pastors, and I have been away for several weeks on sabbatical. Uh, This morning, I'm going to share a bit about my sabbatical and some of my dreams for Pearl Church. But first, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the entire Pearl community to valuing and to bestowing upon me a season of quiet and rest and refreshment. And I want to say thank you to the board uh, over my sabbatical. They so thoughtfully shared their hearts and hopes for Pearl. Uh, Carrie, I also want Pearl to be a place that comes alongside kids and youth and supports them in their visions and purposes for life. And Sherry, I also want Pearl to be a place of community uh, for people, especially in the midst of hardship. And Rachel, I also want Pearl to be a place of nonviolent, non-dominion theology grounded in values that makes space for all kinds of diversity and difference. And Constantine, I also want Pearl to be a place where we embrace our entire selves, even those parts of us that have been passed down to us from previous generations. It'd be incredible for us to learn how to hold all of that, wouldn't it? And I want to say thank you to our staff, Brian, Heather, Kylie, Drew. Thank you for continuing to so thoughtfully and intentionally nurture our kids and youth in the ways of divine love. And then, of course, Ben. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for not just shouldering your own work, but all of my work for eight weeks and then ten weeks because of COVID. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, You have been a salve that has protected and soothed this community that we love so much. So thank you. It is good to be away. (laughs) As I'll share in a few moments, it's been good for me to be away, but I think perhaps even more so it's good for Pearl for me to be away. Sometimes because I've been here for so long and because I have held the title lead pastor, it can be easy for us to begin to think that Pearl Church is my church, but it's not my church. Pearl is our church. It's ours. It belongs to all of us. And I think rather than even thinking of Pearl as our church, I think a better way to understand Pearl is to think of it as a reflection of us. That's what Pearl is. Pearl Church is the embodiment of a provocative idea. That is to say, we are the concretization of an ideal, which is a sacred story and a truly common table have the power to animate our lives, not by shame or guilt or a sense of religious duty or fear, but by love. And so as we embrace this sacred story and as we engage this common table, as this story and table animate our lives by love, we become, that is to say, we actually as a community incarnate a provocative idea, which is the manifestation of Jesus' body, love, here on earth. 
And I'm grateful for the many ways that so many of you have held this idea inside of your hearts and have made this idea manifest with your very lives. Because I think, especially as we look at the world and read the news and feel all of that concern inside of ourselves, this world needs incarnations of love in as many places as possible. Isn't that true? My sabbatical began with a nine-day solo road trip uh, that took me to the Redwoods, Monterey Bay, uh, La Jolla, Joshua Tree, the Grand Canyon, Moab, Salt Lake City, and then to a little Oregon State Park in the middle of nowhere called Unity. Unity State Park. I covered about 3,500 miles, cooked my food on a little stove, talked to as few people as possible, and I slept under the stars. It was so very good. Ancient trees, crashing waves, deep red rock, a pack of wild donkeys on the side of the road wondering, why is everybody in such a hurry? (laughs) About a 40-mile stretch of nothing with a for sale sign proclaiming rare roadfront property. (laughs) So much to see. I put down all of my theology books and bibliology books, and I read Travels with Charlie again, and I reread Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I filled pages of my journal, went on many quiet walks, sunk my toes into ocean, rivers, creeks, and lakes. I drank in sunsets like exquisite glasses of wine. It was so good. It was very good. But it was also really hard. Uh, The first couple nights, I don't know if any of you have ever been on a motorcycle before, but you're kind of whirling down the road, and your body is shaking, and the wind is hitting you. There's all of this buffeting happening, and so I would ride for hours until I got to the next park, and then I'd get off my bike, and it was suddenly silent, and there I was. There was no Pearl Church. There was no Jen. There was no Asher, Miles, Phoebe, or our 14-year-old dog, Max. There was just nobody. It was just quiet. And I found myself realizing on those first couple nights that there was a deep whirling happening inside of me. It was like I would whirl on the bike, and then I would get off, and as quiet as it was, I was just whirling. And it was unsettling. Because that whirling for me has often pushed me into doing other kinds of things, staying really busy, being more intimate in my relationships, or knocking out a project, or accomplishing something. And I felt deep inside of myself like now. Now is the time for me to move from whirling to rest. I've been whirling for so long. I got married very young, and then we started Pearl, and then I was at Pearl full-time, but we wasn't able to make a paycheck, and so I had a full-time job, and I was in graduate school full-time, and then we had three kids under the age of four, and that was very busy, and then Pearl's gone through multiple crises over the years, and so I have just gone and gone and gone, and to go that hard, you just have to get more and more and more efficient, and so I was just so tightly wound up. And I thought, now's the time to stop whirling. I'm going to rest. And so every moment I'm just going to enjoy. I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to get off. I'm going to breathe in the quiet. I'm going to slowly unpack my gear. I'm going to thoughtfully unroll my sleeping bag. I'm going to wake up quietly. I'm going to hand grind my coffee beans and pause to smell how good they are. And I did all of these things. 
And I felt like I was kind of resting, but, but I also felt like I was still whirling. It was like the invitation to rest was there. My life was finally in a place. My kids were older. Pearl's not in crisis. I'm on sabbatical. I'm not going to do any projects for this one. It's the time to rest. But still there was this thing spinning so quickly inside of me. As my road trip continued, I attempted to rest into resting. I realized that there was something deeper than a full life, than a busy schedule that was keeping me from a place of rest. And here are some of the thoughts that came to me. In June of 94, I was in Mexico. I was in the middle of nowhere, and I heard the voice of Jesus. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. Maybe you grew up a little more Pentecostal, and you're like, oh yeah, I know that voice. Maybe you had some kind of youth experience, and you're like, oh yeah, I heard that voice. The best book I've ever read on this is by William James. It's titled The Variations of Religious Experience, and he gets into the psychology of hearing divinities in our lives. So I don't know what psychology was happening in my life. I don't know how my culture and upbringing and religious experiences gave birth to this moment that I had. But I was at a crossroad in my life. Developmentally, I was thirsty for something more in life that could ground me, that could hold me, something to try and make meaning of what was becoming an ever-increasing, big, wide, scary world. And on this trip, I heard Jesus say, follow me. That's what I heard. And I said, yes, yes. And from that point forward, off I went. And somehow for me, following Jesus meant proving to Jesus that I was a good follower. And I tried so hard. Married for nearly 30 years, three decent and kind teenage children, four theological degrees, thousands of books, faithful for decades to a few close friends, committed to nurturing a small faith community for 22 years. See, Jesus, I'm faithful. Do you love me? I'm following you. Can you feel the angst and the concern deep inside of me? I mean, how many degrees does a person need? How many books does somebody need to read to prove that they're a devout Christian? I didn't know I was trying to answer that question, but I've been trying to answer that question. And then I had this moment. It was on the last night of the trip. I was in Unity State Park. My feet propped up on a pole as I watched the sunset over the lake and mountain range, and I could feel my heart whirling. Get home, connect with Jen and the kids and a few close friends, read, write, begin to dream about Pearl. Go, go, go. And I can't really explain it. I haven't had a moment like this since I was in Mexico at 16 years of age. I thought I'd intellectually move beyond the idea of divine encounters. And yet I had this moment. At least I felt it. It was like a heartbeat saying with a gentle smile, you've been trying so hard for so many years, but you already belong. I felt that. And something in me just broke. If you walked past my campground, you'd say, who is that bald guy weeping? <laughs> The tears were just flowing. And as I sat in unity, baptized by my own tears and the acceptance of the divine, I could feel something substantial transforming inside of myself. Like, what if belonging is just belonging because we are all heirs of the divine? Children by birthright. 
Not because we actually believe enough or read enough or graduate enough or accomplish enough, but just because we exist. I mean, sure, I can read and write and get more degrees and create more thoughtful ministries and be more faithful in my life, but I don't think that I actually need to. Like, I don't think follow me actually means earn me. And belonging? Well, belonging is a place from which the whirling becomes capable of transfiguring into rest over time. Over time. That's what I've been learning over the rest of my sabbatical. Nothing, especially old habits, change quickly, you know? And life, capital L, life, always has this way of inviting us into the changes that are necessary, doesn't it? Getting home from my trip, I was quickly acquainted with hardship. Jen's dad had some acute mental and then physical hardships. And this then stirred a fair amount of distress in our home. What does it look like to live from a place of belonging and rest in the midst of crisis and turmoil? My 17, almost 18-year-old son is in his first very intense relationship. And it rouses the question for me, what does it look like to raise a young adult from a place of belonging and rest and not anxiety and fear? As I returned from sabbatical, I got covid I've never really missed a day of work in the 22 years that I've been here due to sickness. Then I'm gone for eight weeks, and it's like, sorry, Pearl, I'm going to skip two more. <laughs> I've told you my stories before of perfect attendance from kindergarten through sixth grade. There was this part of me that was like, I need to just be there, even with COVID. Let's just get everybody sick. It's gotta be, I've got to be there. It's that deep in me. What does it look like to allow my physical body to alter my plans and responsibilities? These are questions that I haven't asked for the majority of my adult life, but they're questions that I'm beginning to ask. And I trust that my growing into rest and belonging will be good for Pearl because a person can only truly give what they are, at least for a sustained amount of time. And I so deeply want rest and belonging for your lives, a place where you don't have to press or earn belonging, place where you can let go of shame and fear for the things that you've not done that you felt like you needed to do or to become, a place to simply be. I want to give that to you. But I can't unless it's nurtured inside of myself. After my road trip, I had scratched a lifelong itch, and I felt complete in a new way, and I decided to sell my motorcycle and buy a camper van. And I ran up by Jen. I was like, what do you think? And she's like, I would love for you to get rid of your motorcycle. <laughs> And so Miles, my 14-year-old, and I got into it. We started looking for camper vans, and we started going and visiting camper vans and checking them out and opening the engine. And since neither of us know anything, we we're like, well, that looks like a good engine. And then we closed the engine. And we just had so much fun doing it. And finally, we found one that we just loved, a 1995 Volkswagen Eurovan camper. So we, you know, did all the things and went and we got it and we signed the papers and we got in and we were driving home and we were about halfway home and Miles patted the dashboard and he said, Dad, I think we should call this thing Lemmy. <laughs> and I said, Lenny? Like L-E-N-N-Y? And he's like, no, Lemmy. L-E-M-M-Y. And I was like, it's a great name. We'll name it Lemmy. <laughs> And I was driving home, I was thinking, Lemmy, it sounds so familiar. And I thought, Lemmy's got to be short for something. I think it's short for Lemuel. Lemuel is the queen's son at the end of Proverbs. It's a Hebrew word. So I looked it up. 
Do you know what Lemuel means in Hebrew? Belongs to God. I thought, this is it. This van is the symbol of this movement that needs to happen in my life. And then we loaded up the camper van with all of our stuff and our precious children, and we drove to the Wallawas. And somewhere between La Grande and the Wallawas, in about a five-mile stretch where there's no reception, Lemmy blew up. <laughs> a, long, a long story for another time. <laughs> belonging, <laughs> belonging doesn't make for ease or for perfect endings. But I am convinced that it is a deeper, wider, more grounded and spacious place to try and live our lives from. And so I come back from my sabbatical with that hope inside of me for Pearl. This morning we read about Sabbath in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we heard Jesus' declaration that his yoke is gentle and humble and full of rest. I would love for us to more deeply trust that it's true. I would love for us to more deeply trust that it's the divine's invitation into a way of being in the world that bears the fruit of goodness. I would love for us to more deeply trust that it's the heart of God to whom we are inextricably connected, like a child birthed from the body of its mother, wonderfully and pervasively and eternally connected, not by growing up and becoming something, but by birthright. That's what I hope for us, children of God, knowing our belonging, able to rest because we don't have to become anything. And what's so interesting about that is bathed in love and belonging, we're not static. I think we become wonderfully, wonderfully dynamic, free to grow and transform and transfigure into everything that we ought to be, that we want to be. Because love is stirring that up inside of us. And so, Pearl, may we rest into God, our mother, to whom we eternally belong. And from that place of belonging, find ourselves dynamically stirred to become all that we are knit together to be. Will you pray with me? God, I pray and ask that you would help us to rest into Jesus' yoke, which is said to be gentle and humble and full of rest. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, Will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.